Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The gravest charges ever brought against a president of the United States in American history. This resolution provides for a fair trial. And I urge the Senate to adopt it. Mr. President, uh, we go right to it. Here it is. I send a resolution to the desk on my behalf and that of the Republican leader for the organizing of the next phases of this trial. Parkour report. Senate Resolution 47 to provide for related procedures concerning the article of impeachment against Donald John Trump, former president of the United States. Mr. Manager Raskin, your party may proceed first. You will be able to reserve rebuttal time if you wish. Mr. Raskin, you're recognized. Thank you very much, Mr. President, distinguished members of the Senate. Good afternoon. My name is Jamie Raskin. It's my honor to represent the people of Maryland's 8th Congressional District in the House and also to serve as the lead House manager. And uh, Mr. President, we will indeed reserve time for rebuttal. Thank you. Because I've been a professor of constitutional law for three decades, I know there are a lot of people who are dreading endless lectures about the Federalist Papers here. Please breathe easy, okay? I remember well W.H. Auden's line that a professor is someone who speaks while other people are sleeping. You will not be hearing extended lectures from me because our case is based on cold, hard facts. It's all about the facts. President Trump has sent his lawyers here today to try to stop the Senate from hearing the facts of this case. They want to call the trial over before any evidence is even introduced. Their argument is that if you commit an impeachable offense in your last few weeks in office, you do it with constitutional impunity. You get away with it. In other words, conduct that would be a high crime and misdemeanor in your first year as president, and your second year as president, and your third year as president, And for the vast majority of your fourth year as president, you can suddenly do in your last few weeks in office without facing any constitutional accountability at all. 
This would create a brand new January exception to the Constitution of the United States of America. A January exception. And everyone can see immediately why this is so dangerous. It's an invitation to the president to take his best shot at anything he may want to do on his way out the door, including using violent means to lock that door, to hang on to the Oval Office at all costs, and to block the peaceful transfer of power. In other words, the January exception is an invitation to our founders' worst nightmare. And if we buy this radical argument that President Trump's lawyers advance, we risk allowing January 6th to become our future. And what will that mean for America? Think about it. What will the January exception mean to future generations if you grant it? I'll show you. We will stop the steal. Today I will lay out just some of the evidence proving that we won this election and we won it by a landslide. This was not a close election. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. So this is Jamie Raskin, the uh, House impeachment manager, presenting the case. We're watching the video that he's showing to the United States Senate. says you have to protect our country and you have to protect our constitution and you can't vote on fraud and fraud breaks up everything doesn't it when you catch somebody in a fraud you're allowed to go by very different rules so i hope mike has the courage to do what he has to do Fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So we're going to walk down 
Pennsylvania Avenue. I love Pennsylvania And we're going to the Capitol. And we're going to try and get... Our Republicans, the weak ones, because the strong ones don't need any of our help, we're tr going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. Majority Leader. We're debating a step that has never been taken in American history. President Trump claims the election was stolen. The assertions range from specific local allegations to constitutional arguments to sweeping conspiracy theories. But my colleagues, nothing before us proves illegality anywhere near the massive scale, the massive scale that would have tipped the entire election. My challenge today is not about the good people of Arizona. And it will stand in recess until the call of the chair. We'll pause. Protesters are in the building. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, can I have order in the chamber? The House will be in order. The 
Those will be in order. Okay. Trump in the United States never been a time like this where such a thing happened where they could take it away from all of us from me from you from our country this was a fraudulent election but we can't play into the hands of these people we have to have peace so go home 
We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. Tom Hartman. They're playing in the impeachment manager. Well, they just finished here. We're back to Jimmy Raskin. Senators, the president was impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives on January 13th for doing that. You ask what a high crime and misdemeanor is under our Constitution? That's a high crime and misdemeanor. If that's not an impeachable offense, then there is no such thing. And if the president's arguments for a January exception are upheld, then even if everyone agrees that he's culpable for these events, even if the evidence proves, as we think it definitively does, that the president incited a violent insurrection on the day Congress met to finalize the presidential election, he would have you believe there is absolutely nothing the Senate can do about it. No trial no facts. He wants you to decide that the Senate is powerless at that point. That can't be right. The transition of power is always the most dangerous moment for democracies. Every historian will tell you that. We just saw it in the most astonishing way. We lived through it. And you know what? The framers of our Constitution knew it. That's why they created a Constitution with an oath written into it that binds the president from his very first day in office until his very last day in office and every day in between. Under that constitution. Jamie Raskin is speaking oath, right now. He's the lead the impeachment manager. The president manager. of the United States is forbidden to commit high crimes and misdemeanors against the people at any point that he's in office. Indeed, that's one specific reason the impeachment, conviction, and disqualification powers exist. To protect us against presidents who try to overrun the power of the people in their elections and replace the rule of law with the rule of mobs. These powers must apply even if the president commits his offenses in his final weeks in office. In fact, that's precisely when we need them the most, because that's when elections get attacked. Everything that we know about the language of the Constitution, the framers' original understanding and intent, prior Senate practice, and common sense confirms this rule. 
Let's start with the text of the Constitution, which in Article 1, Section 2 gives the House the sole power of impeachment when the president commits high crimes and misdemeanors. We exercised that power on January 13th. The president, it is undisputed, committed his offense while he was president. And it is undisputed that we impeached him while he was president. There can be no doubt that this is a valid and legitimate impeachment. And there can be no doubt that the Senate has the power to try this impeachment. We know this because Article 1, Section 3 gives the Senate the sole power to try all impeachments. The Senate has the power, the sole power, to try all impeachments. All means all, and there are no exceptions to the rule. Because the Senate has jurisdiction to try all impeachments, it most certainly has jurisdiction to try this one. It's really that simple. The vast majority of constitutional scholars who studied the question and weighed in on the proposition being advanced by the president, this January exception, heretofore unknown, agree with us. And that includes the nation's most prominent conservative legal scholars, including former 10th Circuit Judge Michael McConnell, the co-founder of the Federalist Society, Stephen Calabresi, Ronald Reagan Solicitor General Charles Freed, luminary Washington lawyer Charles Cooper, among hundreds of other constitutional lawyers and professors. I commend the, the people I named, their, re their recent writings to you in the newspapers over the last several days. And all of the key precedents, along with detailed explanation of the constitutional history and textual analysis, appear in the trial brief we filed last week and the reply brief that we filed very early this morning. I'll spare you a replay, but I want to highlight a few key points from constitutional history that strike me as compelling in foreclosing President Trump's argument that there's a secret January exception hidden away in the Constitution. The first point comes from English history, which matters because as Hamilton wrote, England provided the model from which the idea of this institution has been borrowed. And it would have been immediately obvious to anyone familiar with that history that former officials could be held accountable for their abuses while in office. Every single impeachment of a government official that occurred during the framers' lifetime concerned a former official. A former official. Indeed, the most famous of these impeachments occurred while the framers gathered in Philadelphia to write the Constitution. It was the impeachment of Warren Hastings, the former governor general of the British colony of Bengal, and a corrupt guy. The framers knew all about it, and they strongly supported the impeachment. In fact, the Hastings case was invoked by name at the convention. It was the only specific impeachment case that they discussed at the convention. It played a key role in their adoption of the high crimes and misdemeanor standard. And even though everyone there surely knew that Hastings had left office two years before his impeachment trial began, not a single framer, not one, raised a concern when Virginia and George Mason held up the Hastings impeachment as a model for us in the writing of our Constitution. 
The early state constitutions supported the idea too. Every single state constitution in the 1780s either specifically said that former officials could be impeached or were entirely consistent with the idea. In contrast, not a single state constitution prohibited trials of former officials. As a result, there was an overwhelming presumption in favor of allowing legislatures to hold former officials accountable in this way. Any departure from that norm would have been a big deal, and yet there's no sign anywhere that that ever happened. Some states, including Delaware, even confined impeachment only to officials who had already left office. This confirms that removal was never seen as the exclusive purpose of impeachment in America. The goal was always about accountability, protecting society, and deterring official corruption. Delaware matters for another reason. Writing about impeachment in the Federalist Papers, Hamilton explained that the president of America would stand upon no better ground than a governor of New York and upon worse ground than the governors of Maryland and Delaware. He thus emphasized that the president is even more accountable than officials in Delaware, whereas I noted the Constitution clearly allowed impeachment of former officials. And nobody involved in the convention ever said that the framers meant to reject this widely accepted, deeply rooted understanding of the word impeachment when they wrote it into our Constitution. The convention debates instead confirm this interpretation. There, while discussing impeachment, the framers repeatedly returned to the threat of presidential corruption aimed directly at elections, the heart of self-government. Almost perfectly anticipating President Trump, William Davey of North Carolina, explained impeachment was for a president who spared, quote, no effort or means whatever to get himself reelected. Hamilton in Federalist One said, the greatest danger to republics and the liberties of the people comes from political opportunists who begin as demagogues and end as tyrants, and the people who are encouraged to follow them. President Trump may not know a lot about the framers, but they certainly knew a lot about him. Given the framers' intense focus on danger to elections and the peaceful transfer of power, it is inconceivable that they designed impeachment to be a dead letter in the president's final days in office, when opportunities to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power would be most tempting and most dangerous, as we just saw. Thus, as a matter of history and original understanding, there is no merit to the President Trump's claim that he can incite an insurrection and then insist weeks later that the Senate lacks the power to even hear evidence at a trial, to even hold a trial. The true rule was stated by former President John Quincy Adams when he categorically declared, I hold myself so long as I have the breath of life in my body amenable to impeachment by the House for everything I did during the time I held any public office. When he comes up in a minute, my colleague, Mr. Nagus of Colorado, will further pursue the relevant Senate precedents and explain why 
This body's practice has been supported by the text of the Constitution. And Mr. Cicilline of Rhode Island will then respond to the fallacies presented by the President's counsel. And after these gentlemen speak, I will return to discuss the importance, the fundamental importance of the Senate rejecting President Trump's argument for the preservation of democratic self-government and the rule of law in the United States of America. I now will turn it over to my colleague, Mr. Nagus of Colorado. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Mr. President, distinguished senators, my name is Joe Nagus, and I represent Colorado's second congressional district in the United States Congress. Like many of you, I'm an attorney. I practiced law before I came to Congress, tried a lot of different cases, some more unique than others. Certainly never a case as important as this one, nor a case with such a heavy and weighty constitutional question for you all to decide. Thankfully, as lead manager Raskin so thoroughly explained, the framers have answered that question for you, for us. And you don't need to be a constitutional scholar to know that the argument President Trump asks you to adopt is not just wrong, it's dangerous. And you don't have to take my word for it. This body, the world's greatest deliberative body, the United States Senate, has reached that same conclusion in one form or another over the past 200 years in multiple occasions that we'll go through. Over 150 constitutional scholars, experts, judges, Conservative, liberal, you name it. We will be back. Joe Nagus is speaking right now. We will continue to carry live the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump in the United States Senate. Stick around. We'll be right back. And that makes sense because the text of the Constitution makes clear. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening there is to no Tom Hartman. January exception to the impeachment power. That presidents can't commit grave offenses in their final days and escape any congressional response. That's not how our Constitution works. Let's start with the precedent, with what has happened in this very chamber. I'd like to focus on just two cases. I'll go through them quickly. One of them is the nation's very first impeachment case, which actually was of a former official. In 1797, about a decade after our country had ratified our Constitution, there was a senator from Tennessee by the name of William Blunt who was caught conspiring with the British to try to sell Florida and Louisiana. Ultimately, President Adams caught him. He turned over the evidence to Congress. Four days later, the House of Representatives impeached him. A day after that, this body, the United States Senate, expelled him from office. So he was very much a former official. Despite that, the House went forward with its impeachment proceeding in order to disqualify him from ever again holding federal office. And so the Senate proceeded with the trial with none other than Thomas Jefferson presiding. Now, Blunt argued that the Senate couldn't proceed because he had already been expelled. But here's the interesting thing. He expressly disavowed any claim that former officials can't ever be impeached. I mean, unlike President Trump, he was very clear that he respected and understood that he could not even try to argue that ridiculous position. Even impeached Senator Blunt recognized the inherent absurdity of that view. Here's what he said. I certainly never shall contend that an officer may first commit an offense and afterwards avoid by resigning his office. That's the point. And there was no doubt because the founders were around to confirm that that was their intent and the obvious meaning of what is in the Constitution. Fast forward 80 years later, arguably the most important precedent that this body has to consider. The trial of former Secretary of War William Belknap. I'm not going to go into all the details, but just in short, in 1876, the House discovered that he was involved in a massive kickback scheme. Hours before the House committee that discovered this conduct released its report documenting the scheme, Belknap literally rushed to the White House to resign, tender his resignation to President Ulysses Grant to avoid any further inquiry into his misconduct and, of course, to avoid being disqualified from holding federal office in the future. Well, later that day, aware of the resignation, what did the House do? The House moved forward and unanimously impeached him, making clear its power to impeach a former official. And when his case reached the Senate, this body, Belknap made the exact same argument that President Trump 
is making today. That you all lack jurisdiction, any power to try him because he's a former official. Now, many senators at that time when they heard that argument, literally they were sitting in the same chair as you all are sitting in today. They were outraged by that argument. Outraged. You can read their comments in the record. They knew it was a dangerous, dangerous argument with dangerous implications. It would literally mean that a president could betray their country, leave office, and avoid impeachment and disqualification entirely. And that's why, in the end, the United States Senate decisively voted that the Constitution required them to proceed with the trial. The Belknap case is clear precedent that the Senate must proceed with this trial since it rejected pretrial dismissal, affirmed its jurisdiction, and moved to a full consideration of the Jonah Goose is making the argument here. ultimately was not convicted, but only after a thorough public inquiry into his misconduct, which created a record of his wrongdoing. It ensured his accountability and deterred anyone else from considering such corruption by making clear that it was intolerable. The trial served important constitutional purposes. Now, given that precedent that I've described to you, given all that that precedent imparts, you could imagine my surprise, lead manager Raskin's surprise when we were reviewing a trial brief filed by the president in which his counsel insists that the Senate actually didn't decide anything in the Belknap case. They say, these are not my words, I'll quote from their trial brief, it cannot be read as foreclosing an argument that they never dealt with. Never dealt with? The Senate didn't debate this question for two hours. The Senate debated this very question for two weeks. The Senate spent an additional two weeks deliberating on a jurisdictional question. And at the end of those deliberations, they decided decisively that the Senate has jurisdiction and that it could proceed, that it must proceed to a full trial. And by the way, unlike Belknap, as we know, President Trump was not impeached for run-of-the-mill corruption, misconduct. He was impeached for inciting a violent insurrection. An insurrection where people died in this building. An insurrection that desecrated our seat of government. And if Congress were just to stand completely aside in the face of such an extraordinary crime against the Republic, it would invite future presidents to use their power without any fear of accountability. And none of us, I know this, none of this, no matter our party or our politics, wants that. Now, we've gone through the highlights of the precedent, and I think it's important that you know, as lead manager Raskin mentioned, that scholars overwhelmingly who have reviewed this same precedent have all come to the same conclusion, that the Senate must hear this case. Let's go through just a few short examples. To start, all of us, I know, are familiar with the Federalist Society. Some of you may know Stephen Calabrese personally. He's the 
co-founder of the Federalist Society. He actually was the chairman of the board in 2019. He was the, the first president of the Yale Federalist Society chapter board, a position that I understand uh, Senator Howley later held. Here is what Mr. Calabrese has to say. On January 21st, he issued a public letter, public letter, excuse me, stating, our carefully considered views of the law lead all of us to agree that the Constitution permits the impeachment, conviction, and disqualification of former officers, including presidents. And by the way, he's not the only one. As Lead Manager Raskin said, President Reagan's former Solicitor General, among many others. Another prominent conservative scholar, known to many of you, again personally, is former 10th Circuit Court of Appeals judge, my circuit, Judge Michael McConnell. He was nominated by President George W. Bush. He was confirmed by this body unanimously. Senator Hatch, many of you served with, he had this to say about Judge McConnell, that he's an honest man. He calls it as he sees it, and he's beholden to no one and no group. Well, what does Judge McConnell have to say about the question that you're debating this afternoon? He said the following, given the impeachment of Mr. Trump was legitimate, the text makes clear that the Senate has power to try that impeachment. You heard Lead Manager Raskin mention another lawyer, Chuck Cooper, he's a prominent conservative lawyer here in Washington, has represented former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. He issued an editorial just two days ago, very powerful, observing that scholarship in this question has matured substantially and that ultimately the arguments that President Trump is championing are beset by serious weaknesses. Finally, I, we've gone through a lot of scholars. I'll, I'll just, I'll finish on this one. There's another scholar that I know some of you know and, and some of you have actually spoken with recently. Up until just a few weeks ago, he was a recognized champion, champion of the view that the Constitution authorizes the impeachment of former officials. And that is Professor Jonathan Turley. Let me show you what I mean. These are his words. First, in a very detailed study, thorough study, he explained that, quote, the resignation from office does not prevent trial on articles of impeachment. That's Professor Turley's words. Same piece. He celebrated the Belknap trial. He described it as a corrective measure that helped the system regain legitimacy. He wrote another article, he's written several on this topic. This one is actually, it's a 146 page study, very detailed. And in that study, he said, quote, that the decision in Belknap was correct in its view that impeachment historically had extended to former officials, such as Warren Hastings, who you heard lead manager Raskin describe. In fact, as you can see, Professor Turley argued that the House could have impeached and the Senate could have tried Richard Nixon after he resigned. His quote on this, very telling, quote, future presidents could not assume that mere resignation would avoid a trial of their conduct in the United States Senate. Finally, last quote from Professor Turley, that no man in no circumstance can escape the account which he owes to the laws of his country. Not my words, not lead manager Raskin's words, Professor Jonathan Turley's words. I agree with him because he's exactly right. 
Now, a question one might reasonably ask after going through all those quotes from, from such noted jurists and scholars is, why is there such agreement on this topic? Well, the reason's pretty simple, because it's what the Constitution says. I want to walk you through three provisions of the Constitution that make clear that the Senate must try this case. First, let's start with what the Constitution says about Congress's power in Article 1. You heard Lead Manager Raskin make this point, but it's worth underscoring. Article 1, Section 2 gives the House sole power of impeachment. Article 1... Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Now, Jamie Raskin is going to, uh, whether he's going to close this Senators, up or introduce somebody Mr. President, else, we'll see. To close, I want to say something personal about the stakes of this decision, whether Senator President Trump can stand trial and be held to account for inciting insurrection against us. This trial is personal indeed for every senator, for every member of the House, There's every manager, all of our staff, the Capitol Police, the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police, the National Guard, maintenance and custodial crews, the print journalists and TV people who were here, and all of our families and friends. And I hope this trial reminds America this, uh, how is personal wrapping democracy up is. The, uh, the Democratic presentation. We'll see if there's the going to be a break or if the Republicans too. are going to present. If there's a break, we'll pick up your call. Distinguished members Stick of the around. Senate, my youngest daughter, Tabitha, was there with me on Wednesday, January 6th. It was the day after we buried her brother, our son, Tommy. The saddest day of our lives. Also, there was my son-in-law, Hank, who's married to our oldest daughter, Hannah, and I I consider him a son, too, even though he eloped with my daughter and didn't tell us what they were going to do. Um, but it was in the middle of COVID-19. But the reason they came with me that Wednesday, January 6th, was because 
They wanted to be together with me in the middle of a devastating week for our family. And I told them I had to go back to work because we were counting electoral votes that day on January 6th. It was our constitutional duty. And I invited them instead to come with me to witness this historic event, the peaceful transfer of power in America. And they said they heard that President Trump was calling on his followers to come to Washington to protest, and they asked me directly, would it be safe? Would it be safe? And I told them, of course it should be safe. This is the capital. Steny Hoyer, our majority leader, had kindly offered me the use of his office on the House floor because I was one of the managers that day and we were going through our grief. So Tabitha and Hank were with me in Steny's office as colleagues dropped by to console us about the loss of our middle child, Tommy, our beloved Tommy. Mr. Nagus and Mr. Cicilline actually came to see me that day. Dozens of members, lots of Republicans, lots of Democrats came to see me. And I, I felt a sense of being lifted up from the agony. And I won't forget their tenderness. And through the tears, I was working on a speech for the floor when we would all be together in joint session. And I wanted to focus on unity when we met in the House. I quoted Abraham Lincoln's famous 1838 Lyceum speech, where he said that if division and destruction ever come to America, it won't come from abroad. It'll come from within, said Lincoln. And in that same speech, Lincoln passionately deplored mob violence. It was right after the murder of Elijah Lovejoy, the abolitionist newspaper editor. And he depl Lincoln deplored mob violence, and he deplored mob rule, and he said it would lead to tyranny and despotism in America. That was the speech I gave that day after the House very graciously and warmly welcomed me back. And Tabitha and Hank came with me to the floor, and they watched it from the gallery. And it was, when it was over, they went back to that office, Steny's office, off of the House floor. They didn't know that the House had been breached yet, and that an insurrection, a riot, or a coup had come to Congress. And by the time we learned about it, about what was going on, it was too late. I couldn't get out there to be with them in that office. And all around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones, to say goodbye. Members of Congress, in the House anyway, were removing their congressional pins so they wouldn't be identified by the mob as they tried to escape the violence. Our new chaplain got up and said a prayer for us, and we were told to put our gas masks on. And then there was a sound I will never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram. The most haunting sound I ever heard, and I will never forget it. 
My chief of staff, Julie Tagan, was with Tabitha and Hank locked and barricaded in that office. The kids hiding under the desk, placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes. They thought they were going to die. My son-in-law had never even been to the Capitol before. And when they were finally rescued over an hour later by Capitol officers, and we were together, I hugged them, and I apologized, and I told my daughter Tabitha, who's 24, and a brilliant algebra teacher in Teach for America. Now, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest. That and watching someone use an American flagpole, the flag still on it, to spear and pummel one of our police officers ruthlessly, mercilessly, tortured by a pole with a flag on it that he was defending with his very life. People died that day. Officers ended up with head damage and brain damage. People's eyes were gouged. Officer had a heart attack. Officer lost three fingers that day. Two officers have taken their own lives. Senators, this cannot be our future. This cannot be the future of America. We cannot have presidents inciting and mobilizing mob violence against our government and our institutions because they refuse to accept the will of the people under the Constitution of the United States. Much less can we create a new January exception in our precious, beloved Constitution that prior generations have died for and fought for so that corrupt presidents have several weeks to get away with whatever it is they want to do. History does not support a January exception in any way, so why would we invent one for the future? We close, Mr. President, and reserve your time. So that was Jamie Raskin, and uh, you know the lead impeachment manager in the United States. Well, he's from the United States House, speaking before the Senate. So uh, you know what's going on here is that the Senate is going into recess. So uh, you know my thoughts on what we've heard so far, and uh, the lines are open for yours. My thoughts on what we're seeing here is a compelling argument for not only the uh, conviction of Donald Trump on the basis of the impeachment. But I would say, frankly, a criminal indictment of Donald Trump for treason, or at the very least, sedition. What I saw in this was extraordinary. I mean, first of all, the argument that, well, you can't have a trial when he's no longer in office. They just blew that all to hell with a lot more detail than I was aware of to uh, numerous cases, <laughs> including a trial that Thomas Jefferson presided over or participated in. It sure looks to me like A, the trial is just fine. It's not unconstitutional. 
And if it is unconstitutional, then, you know, if, if the Republicans are going to continue to make that argument, frankly, they should be prosecuting or impeaching Mitch McConnell. Because when Trump was still president, he was impeached by the House of Representatives. Now, that's like an indictment, like a grand jury indictment. Then you have the trial. The trial is in the Senate. The impeachment managers publicly said, okay, he's impeached. We, you know, we held the whole thing. It took a couple of days. Boom, here you go. He's impeached. Now, Mitch, you're running the Senate. You can hold the trial. You can start right now. And Mitch McConnell said, no, we will on, uh, keep in mind, the president gets sworn in on January 20th. Mitch McConnell said, no, on, on January 19th, we'll hold a Senate session where we'll discuss the trial. And if there's going to be a trial, it'll start on January 20th after Biden is sworn in. And now, I, just a few days ago, the same Mitch McConnell voted with 44 of his other Senate Republican colleagues to say, well, you know, because Mitch McConnell put this thing off for a week or so, so that it's, this trial is happening after Trump has already left, it can't happen anymore. I mean, this is like, you know, have your cake and eat it too on steroids. How do you even justify that? And then they pointed out that in multiple examples over the history of the United States, People have been impeached and convicted in the Senate after they had already left office. This is not something that is unique. It is not something that is new. And I think we saw just a very small sliver at the very beginning of this when Jamie Raskin started laying out the argument. Keep in mind, today's debate is not should we convict Donald Trump. Today's debate is answering the objection of 45 Republicans in the Senate and Donald Trump and his lawyers that they have no right to hold a trial, that they have no right to hold him responsible for the crimes that he committed, for inciting a mob to commit riot and treason and murder. He's making the argument that they have no right to do that. And if that stands, if the Senate at the end of today, when they hold the vote, if the Senate chooses, which I... I absolutely don't believe it's going to happen, but if they were to choose not to hold the trial, then every future president will take their last week in office and try to overthrow the election that they just lost and install themselves as president for life, because that's exactly what Trump tried to do. And now they're saying, oh, but we can't hold him accountable. This is bizarre. Mara in Evanston, Illinois. Hey, Mara, what are your thoughts on this? Thank you. I'm a um, trade justice political economist, and for that, we really need to study the Constitution because trade law is now all about other things than trade that relate to the Constitution. So people are not mentioning, and I hate to say this because it's a lot of Democrats, and I'm not a Trump person, that the Senate is definitely given the authority to try impeachment trials. However, what they are not saying is that they are, well, some of them are saying that it's required that they do, which is not true. Um, they are definitely required to take it into consideration. However, it is actually a issue with presidents and vice presidents. I'm sorry I don't have the, um, the exact uh, number, uh, but if you, if you look into the uh, role of the Senate, 
an impeachment, um, and then you go down to presidents and vice presidents, it will talk about the fact that this is a procedural thing that the Senate has to take up once the managers have turned it over. So they can or cannot take up the trial. That's a procedural What's issue. your point, Mara? But they must. What I'm saying is that they do not have to. They have to be taken up for consideration, but they do not have to do the trial. I'm sorry to say it. I'm a Democrat. But, I mean, just for accuracy. Yeah. Well, whether yeah, they have they to or not, they are. They're doing it right now. We're watching it in real time. So it's kind of a, right. a, an academic argument. Is, no, they are, they are not doing the trial. They are doing the... Oh, the debate about whether to have a trial because of the Constitution. I get what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mara, I get it. Thank you. I respectfully disagree with you, but I get what you're saying. So, so. Maureen in Geneva, Illinois. Hey, Maureen, your thoughts? Yes, I believe that they will not convict him. They don't have the guts, and they will go ahead and let him get by with it. And uh, we are dealing with a group of people who are essentially religious fanatics. They're going to go all the way with this man, no matter what he does, because they think they're saving the country from the liberal atheists. And they're on a crusade, and they won't quit. I saw Trent Lott and Tom Daschle on C-SPAN this morning, and I noted that Trent Lott, every time he was asked about the uh, upcoming trial and everything else, kept talking about uh, various members of Congress who were true Christians, all he could say is that man's a true Christian. Um, this is what the Republican Party are up to. Is up to. They want to make this country a Christian country only, in my opinion. Yeah, identity politics, basically. What they're doing is they're saying, there's us, we're the Christians, everybody else is them, and uh, them don't deserve to have the same rights as us. And, I mean, that's an old game that, in particular, white people in this country played for years with black people and Hispanic people and Asian people. Straight people have played with gay people. I think people. there's a new book out I, on it like that called Just Us. A lady, a oh, Korean really? lady and a black woman uh, wrote yeah. it. And yeah. they want, you have to but, look just like them. You have to be white, Anglo-Saxon, Christian, and very much in favor of keeping this country white, Anglo-Saxon, and Christian. Yeah, and it goes back to the founding of the Republic, you know, with, uh, you know, trying to keep out Catholics and Jews and whatnot. I'm with you. Maureen, thank you for the call, and thanks for pointing that out. That was an excellent uh, catch, as it were. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. We should be getting into the real nitty-gritty, the real meat of the impeachment tomorrow. I'm very much looking forward to that. So uh, we'll catch up with you then. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. If we don't act, we are the demos in democracy. If we don't act, there is no democracy. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Go out and get some exercise, huh? We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.